0: Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience.
1: Dr. Richard Sander, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Great to have you here. Glad to be here. This is uh, (laughs) exciting for me to be here. We uh, connected through Rodney Ashby. Kevin and Rodney know each other. And then, of course, you and Rodney know each other. And uh, I was fortunate enough to get your number, and we chatted, what, a couple weeks ago. And you live in East Tennessee, and here you are in Central Virginia.
0: Yeah, well, I kind of bounce back and forth. So I would probably spend 75 to 80% of my time in Johnson City, and then probably 20% here. We, you know, my family's still here, so I kind of bounce back and forth. But, um, yeah, the people at ETSU have been great to me, so um, do a few things there to help out a little bit. And you did you grow up in Eastern Tennessee? No, no, I'm from Cincinnati, Cincinnati, oh, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Did the was the OTR thing when you were a kid? OTR,
1: I think it's on the Rhine or over the Rhine. So oh, over the a, Rhine,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't that big a deal. I mean, that was a pretty tough part of town when I was a kid. <laughs> so not many people went over there, you know. So um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's that's old Cincinnati over over the Rhine. Yeah, right there on the river. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ohio that runs through the, the Ohio that part river. Of the yep.
1: And a lot of people don't realize cincinnati is like right across the river from, from
0: kentucky right yeah i mean a lot of the you know the suburbs of cincinnati or northern kentucky you know coming to newport you know erlanger all those are right there the greater cincinnati airports in kentucky so right know. right so did, did you go uh through high school in cincinnati i did i went to high school i, I went uh to high school at a school called mcnicholas which is a Catholic school. It's the only co ed Catholic school it was at that time in Cincinnati. And then I went to, uh, I actually went to uh, Chattanooga uh, undergrad. So I went there on a football scholarship. But um, I was one of five freshman quarterbacks that they recruited oh, when I got there. Wow. I think I was number five on the depth chart. So they <laughs> moved me to defensive back. And um, then after the season was over, I. Um, the basketball coach said to me, I heard you played basketball in high school. You want to come out and practice with us? And I said, Yeah, sure. So after that season was over, you know, the, the basketball coach asked me if I wanted to switch my scholarship. And I said, Yeah. So I played basketball in Chattanooga.
1: So you went there to play football. Mm-hmm. And by the winter of your freshman year, you're playing basketball.
0: Right. Yep. Yep. You- best, best thing that ever happened to me. i like at least I have a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, all my brains, you know, so that's
1: good. <laughs> Yeah, well, certainly concussions are uh, yeah. a thing in football and less likely in basketball, but basketball can lead to some bad uh, knees and ankles, that sort of thing.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, and I think uh, uh, that's the one thing in today's game of basketball. These guys are so big and strong and fast, and, I mean, the, the amount of uh, power that they can generate is, is pretty amazing. Not
1: fathomable when when Mm -mm. you were a kid, for sure. No.
0: I mean, they're so strong. They work so hard in the weight room. And, um, I mean, it's funny. When I hired Anthony Grant at... um, VCU. One of the things that I guess we had been there about a week, and AG he was the best in the world at getting whatever he wanted in in the best, you know, making you feel like you really needed to help him. And he came to me and said, "Doc," he said, "Uh, "one thing, you know, everything's great." He said, "But the one thing we really need is a strength and conditioning coach." I know, you know, money's tight, but you know, if there's any way you can do it, you know, I think it'll make a difference." I said, "Okay, Anthony." So we hired a strength and conditioning coach, and he came in. I think. You know, that made a big difference for, you know, Coach Grant because, you know, the way they played at 94 feet both ways, he's kind of the – I guess he was kind of the first, you know, guy to really build that BCU brand with full-car pressure and getting after people. And then Shaka came in and, you know, kind of expanded it. And now, you know, Rhodes, he's doing a great job with it, you know, with this group.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Coach Grant, Havoc started, but we weren't calling it – nobody was calling it Havoc then. And then I think uh, with Shaka we started calling it Havoc.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: And Coach Rhodes has certainly kept it going because it works most of the time.
0: Yeah, it does. So I talked to Mike a couple of days ago. I think he's really excited about this team, That you know, the defensive pressure that they can really exert. And I think that's what he said. Practices are so intense that sometimes you've got to kind of calm them down, but they really play hard. So wow. I think that's his kind of team.
1: It's what every coach wants, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's go back to your childhood. What was it like growing up uh, in Cincinnati?
0: Well, you know, I, you know, we, I grew up, and you know, I was. <laughs> it's funny, I, I laugh about this because my dad was probably um, he could do anything. I mean, he could fix anything. It didn't matter electricity, uh, plumbing, uh, carpentry. He could do any cars. He could fix anything, and he would always try to get me and my brother to, you know, kind of help them do stuff and learn how to do it. Well, I had no interest in doing that. All I wanted to do was play ball. And so that's what I did as a kid. I can remember as a little kid, four or five, six years old, just taking a rubber ball out and throwing it against the side of the house. Well, so, I mean, my brother's four years older than me. He'd go to school, so i just do that all day long. I'm sure I drove my mom crazy. But, you know, and I'd play imaginary games with the Reds, you know, being from mm, Cincinnati, right. everybody, the Reds. And, you know, going way back when I was a little kid, you know, the Reds weren't any good, you know, but um, that, that's that, that's what I remember. And then in the neighborhood we played, you know, we played ball all the time. And then I probably, I probably uh, in youth I probably played the most aggressive youth football <laughs> program in the country. When I was in the sixth grade, we played in the Cotton Bowl. And mm. So I think our team was 18 and 0. We allowed one touchdown all year, and you know we'd win about every game. 50, wow. 60 to nothing and uh, I mean we practiced every day I mean it was it was a, a big deal so um, yeah so they're growing up and then I guess when I was in the eighth grade I went to like I said I went to Catholic school one called Guardian Angel I think we won basically the state championship in football basketball and baseball um, so you know we were we, we had a big elementary school the problem was we were the main feeder school for the high school and then if you know anything about Cincinnati GCL, there's a lot of uh, all boys, really strong schools, Elder Saint X, you know Roger Bacon, LaSalle Muller. Um, so when we it didn't translate into the high school, we were okay, but we didn't dominate like we did when we were in. The, you uh, some, elementary school. But you were a pretty good athlete, apparently. I mean if, if you switch from
2: football to basketball in a Division one school, that, so what else were you playing? Did you play every sport like
0: yeah, we used to? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and, you know, I played baseball. I played baseball from a little kid on, you know. So, um, yeah, I played baseball in high school, played American Legion. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know that I was a great athlete. I, you know, I was pretty good at just about everything, you know, because it, it was my main focus, you know. That's what I did. I, I played, you know, and um, – you know, I, the, for, you know, I, I was always put in a position. You know, in, in football, I played quarterback, and baseball, I played shortstop, and basketball, I was point guard. So, you know, that kind of that's what leadership, I leadership. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Wow. You're like, basically, you're almost the quarterback in every uh, sport. Every sport.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you know the coaches. I guess I didn't have enough talent to really be good. So, you know, I was just kind of one of those guys that had to figure it out. and how to play and how to win with, uh, you know, I wasn't a great runner. Um, but you know, I could do a few other things, but that, that never was my strong suit. You know, I wasn't a great runner. And as a quarterback, I was a pretty good thrower. Um, and you know, could, you know, could read a game, you know? So, I mean, it goes back. I mean, it's funny cause when I was in high school, I know they never do this now, but I called all the plays, you know? Mm. And, um, Oh that yeah, that is unusual. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know times changed and um i had a great experience playing and um, it was a big part of my life so i've been very fortunate you know um, my whole um my whole career has been in sports and um, you know when i when i got out of college i went in the i went in the uh army for two years i was commissioned a second lieutenant so i went in and you know i was a signal corps officer Got uh, got orders to go to Vietnam, but I was playing basketball on the post team and had some issues with my elbow, so I had two surgeries on my elbow, so I couldn't depart post until mm. uh, all the treatment was done on that, so got out. And I really didn't have any aspirations of coaching until I got hurt the second surgery they basically said you can't play the rest of the year so they said okay will you be the coach of the post team so I did and once I started coaching you know that kind of got in my blood that's what I wanted to do.
1: So the first time you coach was uh, at an army post? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah that's that's uh, I don't think that's typical.
0: No I don't think so but um, it was good and then you know I got out of the army um, and I had a a three-week Old daughter and um, didn't have a job, and my college coach from Chattanooga called me and said, "Hey, they've got a they've got a uh, teaching coaching position at Howard High School in Chattanooga now." Uh, you guys aren't familiar with Howard High School, but Howard High School is an all-black school in you know in the um, projects in Chattanooga. So if you ever saw the movie or the TV show The White Shadow, that mm-hmm. was I was the original White Shadow. I was the only white teacher oh, wow. in the whole school, and there were no white students. So coached basketball. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That sounds amazing. Actually, yeah, it was it was great great experience. You know, a lot of great kids, a lot of great people I met there and then the next year I had a chance to go back to Chattanooga U- University of Tennessee Chattanooga coach for a year did that and then um, got a job teaching and coaching um, at Anderson High School in Cincinnati so um, one of the biggest high schools in the city, so I, what, I think I was twenty five, and it's a pretty big but, job for twenty five. Yeah, 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 it was. You know, fortunately, fortunately, I had a lot of lucky things happen to me in my life. But fortunately, my high school coach was uh, the assistant superintendent of schools for that school district, and he had moved on to that position, and so he hired me to be the coach, wow. <laughs> and teacher. So yeah, and did that for ten years. During that time, I got my master's and I got my doctorate from the University of Cincinnati while I was teaching and coaching. And then I had an opportunity to go to Memphis State to help help build a you know the an athletic fundraising program for for Memphis. That was great. I was there about four and a half years. We went the Final Four in '85. That was pretty cool. I traveled with the football and basketball teams. Did radio with them. Um, and then in '86, I was got the job here. VCU and, you know, was here for, what, 20, 21 years, whatever it was, and uh, really had a chance to see, you know, VCU grow into, you know, what it is today, you know, when I got there in 86, <laughs> It was uh, not what it is today, no question.
1: No. Let's go back to uh, high school. Was there a fourth sport you could play, or really you just uh, had one, one sport per season? Yeah,
0: yeah, pretty much just one sport. I couldn't have done any of the other ones either. <laughs> you know, I, can, um, I guess some, some people could probably run, do track, or something like that. I couldn't have done that. So those were probably the three sports
1: which, I could play. Which did you enjoy the most in high school? Oh, boy.
0: Um, I mean, I kind of just enjoyed whatever season it was, you know. I, um, it's kind of funny. I think I was perceived always as a as a better football player and baseball player, and kind of a um, you know kind of a, a piece of the puzzle for basketball. You know, I don't think I was ever perceived as a in high school. I mean, I was, you know I started and probably every 16 points a game, but you know I had some other guys on our team that was were really you know who who probably were better than me you know so
1: 16 points a game for a point guards pretty good especially <laughs> yeah. back then the offenses were a lot more conservative I imagine yeah
0: yeah I mean it, it was okay you know yeah we had a good team you know we we we, uh, we did pretty well it's kind of funny because um, when I was at Chattanooga we played Xavier um, I think it was my mm, junior year yeah my junior year and uh, the kid who I grew up playing baseball Everything with all through from first grade on up. He played for X. He played for Xavier. And I think um, I think I got thirty three and his name was Tim O'Connell and Tim got, I think, twenty seven for Xavier. Wow. And so the newspapers that day were wondering how we ever lost the game with two guys that could score like that. Problem <laughs> was I think probably we were guys who were guarding were probably doing about the same thing, you know. So <laughs> so but yeah, that was that was kind of a neat experience. That's really neat. You play point guard at Chattanooga? I did.
1: Okay. That's really cool. All right, so I, I have to go back. I'm, a, I'm an Army uh, vet. Okay. And why did you go into uh, the Army after college?
0: Well, you know, I, I graduated in 1968, and so that was at the very, you know, pinnacle of Vietnam. So my dad just really pushed me to take ROTC mm-hmm. because to go in as an officer, and, um, you know, so I— uh, you know, I listened to what he said, you know, so I did. I got out, you know, I got out, uh, I graduated in 68 and went in the Army in August of 68. So from 68 to 70, that was a pretty, you know, <laughs> uh, Vietnam was going on pretty strong at that mm-hmm. point. And so we got orders and I think we had gotten married, uh, we got married December 28th. And I think the... uh Next week, I got orders to go to Vietnam. Now, you know, I didn't go because the, the surgery's on my arm. But um, you know, that was that was a very difficult time. You know, and you look back, and you know, being in a, uh, you know. a Soldier at that time, being in the army or the, or the military at that time, you weren't exact today. You know, people say we thank you for your service. Right. They didn't say that then. I can tell. They you said that. a lot of other things. Yeah, you know. they did. You know, so that was a pretty tough time. Um, but you know, we persevered, got through there, and you know, it. It was. Uh, I mean, I learned a lot from being in the service. It, it was a wonderful experience for me.
1: Yeah. All right. So let's talk about VCU. You you are best known to Kevin and me as a the VCU athletic director. Uh, before you started talking to VCU about potentially
0: working there, Mm -hmm. did you know anything about the school? Nothing. Although I I say nothing. I didn't know very much about it. But our basketball coach at Memphis was a guy named Dana Kirk. Mm -hmm. And Dana had been the coach at VCU. And so he talked to me, told me a little bit about it, you know, but that's about all I knew about it. Um, Really didn't know too much. I knew it was in Richmond. I knew they had had some success with – You know, with Calvin Duncan and Orlando Lamb and those guys, I think, you know, a couple years. um, And and I think actually we, when I was at Memphis, we actually played VCU. They came over and it uh, it was a good game. I think Memphis, we beat them, but, you know, we were... The number three or four team in the country, so there two maybe. I don't know what we were, but... Uh, Keith Lee, he's part of those Keith teams. Lee, William Bedford, Andre Turner, yeah. Doom Haynes, yeah. yeah. ask you. yeah. Really, yeah. really good players,
1: uh-huh. yeah. So uh, what was the process like to interview and, and be selected for the yeah A-A role. um well
0: you know I, I just applied you know i just applied for the job and uh somehow or another i guess probably what, what helped me more than anything was that memphis state was so good in basketball and vcu aspired to you know have a national brand as a basketball Program and then you know with JD Barnett they had had some yeah had some pretty nice success so I think that probably helped me got me in the door and then you know President Ackle, Ed Ackle was president of VCU at that time and we just kind of connected and um, I think you know I had the type of uh, personality and um, drive and vision that you know Dr. Ackle was looking for and um, it was uh, (laughs) it's amazing VCU was so under-resourced at the time when mm. I got the job. I mean, literally, they had no resources. They had no facilities. They had very little going for them, um, except, you know, they had a pretty good basketball team a couple years before I got here. When I got here, the program wasn't particularly good, Um I say that eh, the first year they it wasn't great. Second year, I think uh, maybe we had uh, Phil Stinney and Chris Cheeks and Vince Wilson, John Thompson. So that team was pretty good, but then those guys kind of finished, and you know, things started to slide a little bit. That's when uh, we had a player die in practice. Um, oh gosh, a young man named Michael Brown. So I'll never forget. It was New Year's Day, and got a call that. Um, one of the players um, was in the hospital. He had passed out at practice. So uh, I rushed down to MCV, and uh, he, was, he was dead, mm. um, dropped dead from, you know, cardiac arrhythmia. And so, you know, Coach Polio, Mike Polio was a coach at that time, and, you know, Mike, uh, I think it really bothered him. Um, it was a tough, tough situation, so Mike kind of stepped down. He just wanted to get out of coaching, and that's when I hired Sonny, so. Um, I thought we needed um, Coach Polio was kind of a yeller, screamer kind of a guy that yeah, you know, I don't think people really you know connected to very very well. And I thought we needed somebody that people could really um, really connect with and would enjoy and had some personality and stuff. And Sonny had been at Auburn, and I think he just kind of got tired of you know the football issues at Auburn, and so. When I talked to him, it kind of came down. (laughs) This is kind of funny. I take credit for um, a couple people's careers. Um, So the job actually came down between Sonny and and Bob Huggins. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I I like Huggs a lot. I mean, really, really good guy, you know. And um, but you know, really intense. You know, very, very intense guy. And I thought after polio, you know, we. The people didn't really connect with Coach Polio very well. I just didn't know if it made any sense to bring in another really intense, yeller, screamer, you know, um, yeah. guy. So Sonny was not like that. Sonny was a personality. Everybody liked Guy. So that's what we did, you know. Um, so that was, <laughs> I, every time I see Huggins, I tell him, hey, you know, yeah, give me part of your paycheck. Now you're making a zillion dollars, you know. I kinda Because I think Huggs got, like, the Cincinnati job, like, a month later so right for him yeah yeah
1: well I mean, it probably would have worked out for uh, yeah oh sure uh, either way yeah yeah so uh vcu was known for basketball and mm-hmm. not known for for much else athletically right what other programs were you really focused on or interested in and in, uh, developing
0: well you know when i got here you know vcu baseball was like a like a circus because we didn't have they didn't have a facility to play in they literally would practice they were like troubadours they just kind of wandered around and practiced at different high schools and stuff like that so when i got here one of the first things i did is you know i negotiated an agreement with bruce baldwin who was the general manager of the richmond braves Mm -hmm. to let us play and practice at the diamond well that was huge for us you know what i mean so now you know it was pretty cool so then coach guzzo could recruit some players so i think um at that point, you know, they had never had a winning season. I think in two years, you know, we won the conference, went the NCAA tournament. And then I think for, you know, the next 16, 17 years, we were the number two ranked non-sunbelt school in the country. Nebraska was number one, and we won more games and went further in the NCAA than anybody but Nebraska. So baseball really got going good with, you know, Coach Guzzo and then Coach Keys. You know, they did, it, really did it great job I think three times while I was there we were within one game going to College World Series so man, awesome. that was pretty cool and then of course you know we made a we made a um, you know we made a strategic decision to really get good in tennis you know so hired Paul Coston and you know Paul came in and did an incredible job and you know I think I don't know he, he went the NCAA uh, championship maybe i don't know maybe 18 20 every year i think paul was here we went to the ncaa championship and he just got that thing rolling and you know i think in 2000 we played stanford for the national championship that's amazing yeah it, it was you know and had had a great team you know paul paul was a tremendous coach and so well respected, and recruited some, some great players, you know, to come in here. You know, Daniel Anderson and Frederick Eliasson, and you know, uh, Boris Kojo and Jonas M. Blod. But yeah, we had a lot of good players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, so back to baseball, it, recruiting's is different
1: today than it was, say, in the late mm-hmm. 80s, early 90s, but it's got to be hard to recruit a baseball player when you didn't
0: have a field to, yeah, to show. Yeah, although, although, you know, we're playing at AAA Stadium, so that kind of gave him a little bit of you know a little bit of credibility and and those guys were really good at figuring it out you know we always had a combination we were getting a lot of the best local high school kids and then he would supplement it with you know some players that were you know from new new york new jersey pennsylvania i mean like Jerry DiPoto came down here you know he was you know he was a great pitcher for us and of course went on to be what is he now the general manager of you know uh, one of the I don't know. I think the Angels, the Los Angeles Angels, Um, and then, you know, some other guys. And so they figured out how to play at the Diamond, you know, so we pitched really good. We played kind of small ball, you know, guys could run. You know, we had good players local. Robbie Grimes was here, uh, Todd Campbell, you know, so we had best local, we were getting the best local players, Michael Bell, and then we got just enough guys from outside that could supplement that, so, um, and then, you know, we had some, you know, we had the Marshalls pitched, you know, Sean, um, Sean, uh, was certainly, a, you know, a great pitcher for us and, you know, Clay Meredith and, um, yeah, just, just really figured out how to win. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of guys go to,
1: go to the big leagues. Yeah, yeah we did. Mm-hmm. Which if you had told me that back in 1985, I would say you're crazy. Yeah. There's no way we're PCU sending that many kids to
0: oh, yeah, the we, bigs. I mean, you know, with Inge, of course, you know, Brandon Inge was maybe the best player that's ever been at. You know, VCU Inge could. I mean, he was a tremendous shortstop. And then he was. <laughs> I mean, Keys would just bring him in. You know, he, if he needed to get an out any time, he just brought him in from shortstop, pitched to one batter, and get him out, and then he'd go back and play shortstop again. You know, and um, so that. I mean, those were those were those were really good teams. Yeah, Jason DuBois was. You know, played in the majors. You know, Sean Marshall, Clay Meredith. You know, Inge. Um, bunch of other guys, Scott Sizemore, Sizemore. Um, so yeah, Harold Harold uh, Mazinga, so yeah, a lot
2: of guys. Well, a lot of those guys are still around this area, Sizemore, McQueen, um, Clay was on the podcast. Yeah, Clay, um, was Clay was yeah. a couple yeah. miles from here. Yeah. 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 Was, yeah. Was football ever a
0: serious consideration while you were there? No. No? Why not? Um, well... You know, President Trani had no interest in football. Just yeah. to be perfectly honest, um, I just don't think that you know facilities have always been such a big challenge for for VCU, such an inner city, um, landlocked institution, just finding space. I mean, we have enough hard, enough hard time finding you know space for soccer and right. you know some of the other sports, and I just don't think we ever wanted to do it. And we just said, okay, we can you know we can you know, we can um, invest money on in different things, and we'd much rather invest money in basketball and try to become a national brand in basketball than to, you know, dilute that and invest some of that money in football. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can tell you, you know, FCS football, it's nice, you know what I mean, but you're never going to build a national brand. Right. Um, you're never going to... It's always going to be a major... Uh, cost center you're never going to make any money you're going to lose you know you're going to spend a lot of money so I think for us we just felt that if we could take that money and invest in basketball and the other sports you know we got pretty good in just about everything when I was there we, you know yeah. soccer I think um, five, five straight years we were national seed in men's soccer mm-hmm. our women's soccer program which we started you know I think we went we were going to the NCAA almost every year of course both tennises women's tennis made, they made it to the semifinals men's tennis made it to the finals, baseball, like I said, three times within one game of going the College World Series, um, you know, just about everything, you know, was, was pretty good, and so I think we were able to use our resources to invest in those programs and have, you know, a high level of success rather than dilute everything and throw a lot of resources at a football program that, you know, I'm not sure you, you know, with all the established programs that are out there, um, I'm not sure VCU would have been a, you know, a uh, attractive Makes sense. place for you know football.
1: Yeah, it's hard to break into FCS when you haven't had a program ever. ODU made a, a different decision ten, eleven years ago, and they, their program is is okay.
0: okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, I can tell you, their budget's about forty eight million, and uh, I don't know what VCU's is, but it's probably. Uh, Well, maybe twenty-five million or something like that, which is a lot for a non-football-playing school. But you know, it's it's half, and you know those those programs are very expensive. I mean, you can say what you want; they're very, very expensive. You can't generate enough money to pay for a football program unless you're a you know Power Five guy, yeah, a
1: perennial top twenty team. Yeah, I
0: mean, you know, it's just like JMU. I mean, JMU. JMU's budget is bigger than Old Dominion's, and so figure that one out there—an FCS program and <laughs> Old Dominion's an FBS program. So they built quite
2: a program down there. Yeah, yeah I mean, I mean
0: they spent a lot of money to build it. Good yeah. for them. <laughs> That's what they wanted to invest in. You know, it's yeah. been good for them. Yeah.
1: What was your relationship uh, like with uh, the community with Richmond generally?
0: Oh, you know, good. I think because you, you were know, here twenty we, years, there, there must have there, been there, something yeah. about
1: yeah. Richmond that made you stay so long. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, I mean, you know, I. I, I Love Richmond. You know, I think, um, you know, it was an opportunity to come here and do something. I mean, like I said, when I got here, um, there were some pretty major challenges facility wise, budget wise, you know, building a tradition. I mean, you know, VCU, I think it's history, and I forget what year it was, 76, 77, when it actually, you know, came into being, you know, a merger between Richmond Professional Institute and the Medical College of Virginia. Um, and so, you know, there was no tradition, you know, there were no resources, there really wasn't, um, it, it was an opportunity to really build something. And, you know, I think VCU kind of became what we wanted to become was kind of the um, you know the uh, athletic program for Central Virginia you know of course U of R you know Chuck Boone who was the AD there were good friends were, were, you know and um, but they were completely different than us you know so I thought we could appeal to a lot more uh, wider um, uh, segment of the population I think you know that's where we are you know I think that's where VCU is now I mean I think all we had to do is with you know the the attendance at the basketball games, and I think tells you. You know, it's uh, people people care about you know VCU and VCU basketball. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: a lot of people forget that uh, VCU was MCV plus RPI, right? And and you become the AD nine years after that merger. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the attraction for you over time, especially I imagine, is you got to build something special.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that was really the thing, you know, and, I, you know, to be honest, you know, I had chances to to leave, you know, at different jobs, different opportunities, and kind of turned them down, because it seemed like there was always something that was important that was going on, that we were making a big, big move forward, you know, whether it was building the Siegel Center, or, or changing conferences, or, you know, a lot of different things, you know, um, it just seemed like, you know, that's where I, I wanted to be, that was my, you know, that was my... Uh, passion it was my vision to build what we did and so i feel pretty good about it yeah
1: and i imagine most of the uh games you went to and and watched in person
0: as many as you could
1: the home games yeah i
0: mean i went to all the home games of course you know tried to get uh, tried to get some of the away games you know it's tough when you're running an athletic program to be on the road too much and so um but yeah, I think I probably saw every, every home game over 20 years, unless I was at the NCAA convention. I think that was probably the only time I'd miss a game. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of games, saw a lot of great games, some really cool stuff going on, you know, some interesting stuff, interesting things that happened that you, know, you probably wouldn't ever think would happen, but they did. Um, I remember one year early on when I was here, we were playing Jacksonville at the Coliseum. And the game was going to be on regional cable at that time. The regional cable was Home Team Sports, and um, the the folks down at the Coliseum they wanted to do this. They wanted to really show the Coliseum in, in a uh, in a very positive manner. So they got out and they waxed the floor. The only problem was they used the wrong wax, and you know nobody could stand up on the floor. <laughs> so we had, the game was like you know, it was it was unbelievable, you know. People couldn't stand up. So we had to cancel the game. It's really hard to play a basketball game when yeah, you can't ice. get your footing. Yeah. Yeah, we had a waxed out game. We may be the only school in the country that <laughs> had a waxed out game. But yeah, that that was uh that was funny, you know. And um, we used to play at the old Coliseum, and, you know, they'd have ice under the floors. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, Sonny was always complaining about his feet being so cold. <laughs> <laughs> I told him, you're just too old, Sonny. You can, it's about your circulation. It's not about the ice on the floor, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the Coliseum had ice because they had a bunch of semi-pro hockey oh, yeah. teams coming mm-hmm. through here. The rifles like and the Ford robins. And the, yeah. and the renegades. And the renegades. Mm-hmm. And they all had to start with R, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. That's funny. So Sonny didn't like the ice underneath mm-hmm. the basketball floor.
0: <laughs> nope.
1: Uh, tell us about some of your fondest memories as it relates to uh, athletic events, different games. Yeah,
0: yeah, well, you know, um, I guess one of my my all time one of my all-time favorite things about VCU athletics was, I guess I forget what year it was ninety or ninety one. Um, our baseball team had a great year. We were in the metro we were in the metro uh, conference, and we The tournament was in Louisville. We go up to play up there, and we lose the first two games. You know, we get sent home. So the guys come home, and we're sitting in the office like a day and a half later, and we get this call from, I think it was uh, Texas Arlington or somebody, and they say, hey, um, we need your roster, your baseball roster. We go, what do you need our baseball roster for? Say, so say, we we're in the same regional with you guys. We went – and we're going, what? You know, All our guys had left and gone back because we didn't think we were going to get in. When well, we get in the NCAA tournament, we had a couple players. We had a pitcher named Melvin Hornsby who we never found. He was up in the mountains of West Virginia oh. fishing, so we never got a hold of him. <laughs> the guys are flying into Austin, Texas from Myrtle Beach and all over the place. So we go down there, and one of the neatest things that would ever happen um, is we played um, Texas the first game. We were the sixth seed, te- and that was when there was a sixteen team regional, you know. University of Texas. University of Texas down in Austin. and So we go down there, and, I mean, it's a great environment. It's a great venue. I mean, they got, I don't know, eight 9,000 people, and, I mean, they're yelling and screaming, you know, and... It's really cool. They have one of their former players. He's a country singer, you know, and, and their big deal is the Eyes of Texas, you know, and they get up there, and they're doing uh, – and this guy sings the Eyes of Texas, and it's really emotional, you know. It's really, really emotional, you know, and they're yelling and screaming, hooking horns and everything. I'll never forget the first pitch of the game. Robbie Grimes, who about first for us. He hits a line drive off the left field wall for a double, and you could have heard a pin drop in the place. <laughs> like, you <know>? what? Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, you know, and then so we um, – we wind up losing to Texas two to nothing, mm. and then, you know. So, but it's you know it's double elimination. So we come back, and I, I forget who we played. I don't want to get this wrong, but it's something like we played, we played uh, um, Louisiana Lafayette. The next game we beat them. Then we played Creighton, who who was real good, and we beat them. And then we played Long Beach State with Giambi, we beat them. And now we come back, and Texas had gone through the winners' bracket, so we're, we're the winner of the losers' bracket. They're the winners of the winners' bracket, and we play Texas, and um, you know, and then we've got to beat them twice. And so um, we play them like at ten o'clock in the morning on a Monday. We beat them. We beat them like four to two. It's I'll, I'll never forget. They they had the player of the year, a guy named Brooks Kieschnick, who was the player of the year. He was a pitcher hitter. And so they bring him in to close the game and I think uh, somebody I mean it's Jamie Brewington or somebody gets a hits a line drive down the right field line with the bases loaded mm-hmm. and we wind up winning like four to two or something like that. Well now we gotta play him again and uh, if we beat him we go to the College World Series, you know, and um, we got no pitching left, you know, none. I mean, by this time, you know, and, and we had a lot of these freshmen that were pitching two to, uh, local guys, a guy named Tommy Knuckles, who's a local guy, I think, went to Clover Hill, and another guy named Mike Ketterman, who pitched for another uh, one of the schools on the Mount Monacan or one of them, both freshmen, they pitch great down there. So we bring back, we had one really good pitcher, a guy named Matt Williams, who was really good. Matt, he pitched first game. We lose two to nothing to Texas, and he comes back, and he's pitching on two days rest. And uh, we're winning like in like the sixth inning. We're winning like, uh, I don't know, four to two or something. They got the bases loaded and one out. And uh guy hits a ground ball kinda of between shortstop and second base and Todd Campbell was our shortstop and he had hit an error in like in thirty five games yeah. or something like that. It's a perfect double play ball and the ball kinda of hits his the tip of his glove, goes out in the right center, all three runs score and we get beat like 10 oh. to 6, but um, it was just to see the the best part about that was the fans, the Texas fans gave our kids a standing ovation because oh, they played so hard and, you know, they loved us cause, also because we'd beat Long Beach State, and, you know, Long Beach and Texas had a, a kind of a very heated rivalry. They didn't like each other at all. Mm-hmm. I think the year before, Long Beach had knocked Texas out of the College World Series or something. So, yeah, that was that was one of the really, really, you know, Great um, moments, I think. From basketball, I think one of the neat things that you know was really cool is you know in Anthony's first year here when we go to the NCAA tournament, and um, I had gone to practice with AG and the team the day before we were playing up in Buffalo, and. Um, he, they're going through the practice. At the end of practice, Anthony tells them how the game's going to go. He said, well, you know, we're going to go out there. You know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be great. You know, we're going to play hard and everything. And, you know, Duke's a really good team. And, you he said, you know, we'll hang in there, we'll hang in there. He said, but don't be surprised, you know, if you get down 10 or 12 in the second half. He said, you know, it's going to be okay. He said, you know, they're going to get tired. Our pressure will eventually wear on them. They'll start missing. They'll start missing free throws. And at the end, if we can make a couple plays at the end, we're going to win the game. And, you know, sure enough, that's exactly I'll what happened. That you know, Maynard hits a little 12, 15-footer, you know, at, at the end. But, you know, it was just unbelievable. You know, you just go, Wow, he told them exactly what was going to happen, and that's exactly what happened.
1: I, I think besides the Final Four year that happened in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, that's that probably was the biggest game BCU had ever been
0: in. Yeah, I think so, you know. Yeah. It was so cool, national attention, you know. and um, Yeah, and I mean, that that was amazing because, you know, we, we I mean, um, I can't think of the kid's name. We had a, a decent-sized center who... Oh, uh, wasn't that big? But had broken his nose in 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 the game before, and he couldn't really play. I mean, we were down to hardly any players at all. You oh. know, we had no inside game. You know, um, uh, so yeah, it, it was uh, it was a heck of a game. You know, of course, we had Maynard and B. A. Walker and Jesse Pelarosa. Those guys kind of carried that team.
2: Were you? Were you? Did you get to go to the Louisville game
0: with Sweet Chuck? Uh... <laughs> I, I was not. I was not there. I was actually, I was going to the NCAA convention, and I was on a plane. And when I landed, uh, I think it was the convention was in Dallas. And I think when I landed, I got to TV and saw the end of it. You know what I mean? With you know Crazy. Rodney going off, and of course Kendrick had a pretty good game that too. Was. You know, so um, yeah. I mean that was that. But I mean, I think Kendrick got. Yeah, thirty-two, and Rodney got like twenty-four and yep. twelve or thirteen or something like that, playing against you know all those McDonald's All-Americans. That was pretty cool. Well,
1: especially awesome. considering that Rodney uh, played fifteen minutes of high school basketball. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, he
0: was a walk-on, just came in, you know, yeah. and um, worked hard, and you know, <laughs> yeah, Rodney, I'll never forget. We were play- <laughs> we were playing Long Beach State, and uh, I, th- I think this is Rodney's maybe sophomore, junior year when he wasn't playing much. And, and Long Beach State was kept coached by uh, Seth Greenberg. Mm. And so they come in, and they were supposed to be pretty good. and uh, We go out there, and we just, we just throttle them. We mm. beat them. I mean, Kendrick's dunking on people right and left. Kenny Harris is, you know, making shots. Ty- Tyrone McCoy, uh, you know, Sharon Mills. I mean, that, that was a good team. So at the end of the game, you um, you know, kind of mop-up time. Rodney goes to try to dunk one. Of course, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, nobody ever confused him for Kendrick. So he goes to dunk it and kind of misses it, kind of grabs the rim and catches it's coming off and puts it back in. And I'll never forget, I've never seen anybody go crazy like Seth Greenberg went crazy on that one. So and the funny thing is then we beat him like on a Saturday and we throttled and beat him by, I don't know, a bunch. And then Monday night they go they play Kansas, number one team in, in the country, out and out at Allen Fieldhouse and beat them yeah, by ten. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Uh-huh. So that was uh, those were those were those were fun. Yeah, yeah, the Mainer game I uh, would have to be in your top five. I would imagine. Yeah, it was. You know, it was. You know, and then there were some other games. You know, um, in uh, what year was it? Maybe it was. It was uh, probably the year after Kendrick and those guys were gone. When Bernard Hopkins, as I remember Bernard. Yeah. He was a great mm-hmm. player. We're playing. We're, we are going to play. We're supposed to play Xavier. Um, you know, it was like the. They were supposed to come here to, to Richmond. It was the back end of a of a two game series. We had played them in Cincinnati the year before, and so. Um, we, I think this is the year. I don't know what year it was. We're supposed to play. Since, we're supposed to play Xavier, and and a guy named Jeff Fogelson, the AD at Xavier, he calls me and says, "Hey Dick, we need a favor. We have an opportunity to play play Notre Dame on national TV, you know, in Chicago, uh, on CBS." He said, "Can you please let us out of the game? We'll come next year, um, but this is really big for us." And he said, "We'll pay you guys whatever." You know, whatever cost you have and, you know, make it worth your while. And so, you know, I go, okay, yeah, you know, if you got a great opportunity like that, you want to help somebody else. I say, okay. So now this was like September 10th or 12th. I mean, it was really late for a game. So I'm thinking, okay, what can we do? Oh, I got a good idea. We'll play Virginia Union. (laughs) so call over there we we call right across the yeah hey right across the road and you know hey we'll play a game we'll because you know union had always wanted to play you know what i mean and so we say okay we'll play virginia union we'll sell out this will be great you know (laughs) fill the coliseum we'll make a bunch of money what what year was this Uh, oh boy i don't know this that's a good question what year it was um 80s, uh, Sonny was the coach. It must have been maybe oh, 93, 94, okay. something okay. like that. Uh, well, all I know is so with like six minutes to go in the game, we're losing by about eight. You know, I'm thinking, hey, maybe this wasn't such a good idea <laughs> at all. But then, and they had Ben Wallace, so whatever oh, I, year that would have been. That so, team was really good. Yeah, <laughs> so they were really good. And... uh so we wind up, you know. Ben was not a great free throw shooter. He misses some free throws down the stretch. We wind up winning by four Oof. or six or something Th- like that. Goodness, cause thank goodness, because they were division goodness. two. Yeah, they were division two. You know, and say, okay, you know, PC. Okay, well, we we did our we did the right thing. We gave Virginia Union a chance to play us. You know, now. and we will not do that again. Right. Time, so. Although, although in the, in years once we got in the Siegel center we actually did play union you know an exhibition game and uh, almost every year and you know we'd sell it out it was a big deal for us it was a big deal for them It oh, didn't yeah. mean anything you know what i mean and i think a couple of years i mean i think maybe one of jeff's years we actually lost to him and then wound up you know maybe the year we went to the ncaa with jeff you know so um you know and i think everybody realized you know union to beat a lot of people yes
1: what is it about richmond college basketball because you of ours had good teams in the past vcu's had a really strong program for a long time your Mm -hmm. entire tenure plus uh time after and before um and then vuu has been a division two stalwart what what do you think it is about richmond and basketball
0: it's a good question um you know i think there's some good high school basketball here, you know, and so, you know, there's been some great players who have come out of here, you know, Jason Williford and Kendrick and, you know, Thomas Meredith and, you know, just a lot of good players from around here, you know, some guys from Charlottesville, Phil Stinney. Um, I think people just have kind of... um, Well, I think one thing is, you know, VCU, because for years just... um, because they didn't play football, you know, I think maybe that's part of it, too. You know, there's no, um, it's a pretty big city not to have an FBS Mm -hmm. program here. You know, some people go to Mm -hmm. Charlottesville, some people go to Tech, but you know, there's not, you know, so basketball has kind of become the focus. And I think the rivalries between U of R and VCU go back. And, you know, so I think People really enjoy it. Plus, the high schools are good. I think they're well coached, and you know the AAU programs. The you know, Tony Squires, they had a really good AAU program here. So, I think it just kind of built, you know. And then, uh, I think as you know, we got pretty good. As U of R got pretty good, you know. I think it just kind of, um, just kind of continued to build and build and build. And, you know, the rivalries with Old Dominion and. Um, you know, I think uh, if you talk to – it'd be interesting if you did a survey of VCU fans who they hate the most, U of R fans or Old Dominion fans. I just, Ooh, that'd I, be a tough one. They would be. You know, I'm not sure who, who would win that one. But um, <laughs> there's no love lost between no. going either way on that. Although U of R, you know, I think the games are rivalry, but I don't think there's any, you know, I think – Animosity. That's what in the I don't yeah. think so. The, like I say, the universities are so different. Where VCU and o- ODU are pretty similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think people forget how close we were to
2: having a VCU Richmond basketball game to see who goes to the Final Four. Mm-hmm. That close, and it was spinning, Don't get me wrong. VCU beating Kansas mm-hmm. is probably one of the highlights of my VCU fandom. That's the biggest um, game in
1: VCU history, mm-hmm. any sport.
2: Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, yeah, 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 it really still, was. I, this close, Richmond against VCU,
0: and the city was going crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that was that was quite a time. Quite yeah. a time, yeah. Who would ever figure out the odds against that are pretty small. But, yeah, uh, crazy. Uh,
1: by the way, I think when people think of Richmond, they, they know the history of sports yeah. in Richmond. It's a basketball town. Yeah. There's yes. no question yep. about this. Yep.
0: Cool. Uh, proudest moment, your tenure at VCU? Oh, my proudest moment, huh. Uh, that's a good question. Proudest moment? Um, I think probably you know the day we opened the Siegel Center. I think the Siegel C- Center was transformational for the university, for the for the uh, for the whole uh, VCU constituent base. I think it was the one thing that really gave them pride in the in the institution. I think it gave us the opportunity to do so many things besides just you know play basketball um, to. Um, reach out to the community, you know, we we, um, were able to negotiate the deal with the Virginia High School League where, you know, all the state tournaments, uh, you know, the state finals, basketball would come here, uh, cheerleading would come here, I think volleyball would come here. So it gave us an opportunity to really um, not only play in a really you know exciting tight venue that you know we could recruit to but I think it did so much for the community and for the brand the whole VCU brand and the image of VCU so I think we opened that building because there were so many challenges that that we had to overcome to get to that point it was pretty amazing so to open that building because I knew it just wasn't a one-time deal I knew it was transformational over you know however long what it is today I mean I, I guess the building's Oh, yeah, it's over 20 years old, isn't it? Yeah, wow. um, Wow. Um, But, yeah, I think that was probably it. And then, you know, the coolest thing is, you know, we played Louisville that opening game, and I don't know, we were down 22 or 24 at half and came back and won, you know, Mm. um, beating Denny Crum and, you know, those guys. So that was, um, I I think that was probably maybe it, you know, opening the building and, you know. um, But knowing how that was going to really change the whole Um, image the whole brand of of VCU. I think, like I said, I think it was transformational just even from the standpoint of changing the campus um, because where we built it and, you know, the way things had grown in in between, you know, kind of the periphery of the campus and where the Siegel Center was. So, yeah, and like I said, there were a lot of problems and challenges that we overcame that people never even knew about. um, So... Yeah, that was that was uh, probably my proudest moment. Uh, go, overcoming those challenges made it even more worthwhile. Yeah, I did. imagine it did.
1: But certainly connecting with the community in, in a deep way that I, maybe you guys had never achieved before the Siegel Center. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think uh, there's no question we'd have those graduations from, you know, schools from you know from Chesterfield County and and Henrico County. I mean, people would say, oh, "Well, I've never been to, on VCU's campus." You know what I mean? So I think it just opened so many doors and opportunities we could bring you know things in we brought in robotics competitions mm-hmm. and uh different things where you know people would never have come to BCU and i think it and, and i think the other thing it really gave us a sense us the constituent base of VCU, you know, a real sense of pride. You know, it was something that that was their own, that was really nice. It was really well done. And I think that gave them a really good feeling about that. Because, you know, I I mean, when I got here, I'll just be honest, I always thought that a lot of the VCU folks kind of had a very, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, limited self-image. You know what I mean? They kind of felt you know, like second-class citizens compared to UVA or William & Mary or U of R, even tech, you know. So I think this was something that the people could really kind of stick their chest out and say, man, we got something really good here. And unfortunately, we were able to, you know, build that into a terrific home court advantage. And, you know, uh, I think it's as good a home court advantage as anywhere in the country.
1: Well, the irony about the second-class citizen... MCV was considered even back in the 70s to be a fantastic mm-hmm. medical school and it, and it maintains that reputation today. It actually goes by VCU now right. which mm-hmm. means the VCU brand is even stronger, but RPI was a fantastic art school. Right. And so but it's a weird merger of mm-hmm. an art school and a medical school. Right. But now you have VCU which is a full-fledged you can learn anything at VCU and the brand is powerful these days.
0: It is and I mean there was a lot of work done to build that brand and the relationship because When I first got here to VCU, there wasn't a good connection or good feeling between MCV and, and, you know, the academic campus. Um, And, you know, MCV um, really fought the... uh, name the brand of Virginia Commonwealth University so they really wanted to be identified as you know the Medical College of Virginia until you know and then you know a couple things happened Um, um, if you remember one of the things that happened I'll tell you if you want to listen how two things that happened to kind of really force this um, you know the university to just kind of make sure that the Medical College of Virginia was going to now become, you know, the MCV campus of Virginia Commonwealth University, um, because MCV uh, refused to even have Virginia Commonwealth University on their um, diplomas. Um, even, though, even though
1: even legally they were part of it. They were, yeah.
0: yeah so. Um, But if you remember, there was a really bad wreck out at Richmond International Raceway, and Mm. and they airlifted, I forget which driver it was, the MCV, and, you know, all the local news media were here, and they, uh, I think it was CNN's here, and they came on and would say, you know, the Medical College of Virginia, the Medical uh, College of the University of Virginia, and that drove Trani absolutely crazy. It would have driven me crazy. And yeah. then then if you remember the I-95 shooter guy that was shooting people. The sniper, yeah. The DC yeah, the sniper. sniper, whatever he was. Well, same thing happened to them. They shot somebody, brought him to MCV, and the exact same thing happened. And Trani just said, enough. This is going to be Virginia Commonwealth University. Yeah. You know what I mean? And we're going to downplay the MCV bit of it, you know. And... Uh, so yeah, those are two things. You can only
1: be called University of Virginia twice, right? Before so, you have to make a move, right? I think that's yeah. right.
0: I think that's right. So that kind of uh, was the uh, that was the impetus to force that issue. So what did you do after VCU? Uh, not much, you know. I had started a graduate program, you know, in in uh, sports leadership, you know. So it was kind of neat. Um, we started it, you know, completely entrepreneurial. So um, it was. Um, well, it was VCU's. VCU didn't give us any money. We ran the program. I think we got ninety um, percent of the tuition revenue, and the university got ten percent. Mm. But we did everything. You know, we we funded everything. We funded faculty. We did everything. Um, so I did that for two or three years. I had started that, and it was kind of cool. We'd take the class to Europe every year, and you know, a lot of people now. I think they call it, we called it the VCU Sports Center. But then I think after I retired, they they changed it to, uh, what do they call it, the Center for Sports Leadership, I think they call it. And it's very successful. It's one of the top graduate programs in, um, you know, in, in, in sports management, sports leadership. So I did that for two or three years. Then I retired, I just kind of hanging out, doing a little consulting. I'd done some, gone out to Gonzaga, did a little bit of stuff for them, Western Kentucky, George Mason, you know, some other places. And, and um, East Tennessee State had a new president and uh he had been in he had been there about mm, six or seven months and they somebody called me and said hey you know um brian nolan the president of east tennessee state university like for you to come up here and look at their program because they wanted to build a basketball brand you know and so i said okay so i went up there a couple times and the guy who was the ad You know, he was getting ready to retire, so President Nolan, he said, Hey, you know, um, Dave's getting ready to retire. It's time for him to leave. Can you help me for a couple months, you know, on an interim basis? And you're retired, effectively. I'm retired. Yeah, I'd been retired for a while. This was 2013, so I'd been retired for maybe three years. And um, so... um, talked to my wife. She said, yeah, you you enjoy doing it. So, literally I got there and, you know, President Nolan, on the third day I was there, he said, hey, I've decided I'm going to restart football. They dropped football there mm. in 2003. Can you help me restart football? So when I said, yeah, I knew that wasn't a two-month deal. So That's I stayed <laughs> Yeah, so I stayed there for you know, five years. We restarted football, change conferences, built an on-campus stadium, uh, moved our basketball facility. We moved from you know, an on-campus facility, a city um, facility, you know, invest about 20 million in that. We built a football stadium for about 50 million. You know, we changed conferences. Um, So um, that was cool. And then I started a doctoral program and what we call global sports leadership at ETSU. So that's kind of what I did and been doing here, you know. And then back at at VCU, when Jeff was our coach, you know, I had hired Jeff you know, when he was twenty seven and um, he um, you know, he was great. I love Jeff, but you know, I think I thought, well, I hired him at twenty seven, we'll have him for a long time. Well the first year he was did pretty good. And then I think both Miami and Auburn reached out to him to interview for their jobs. I'm going, oh, my goodness, you know, what am I going to do? You know, who am I going to get if Jeff leaves? So I started this program called Villa 7. You may have heard of it. Mm-hmm. And so it was an attempt to, knowing that I was a mid-major athletic director, that probably our next coach would be, be somebody who um, was a um, – one of the top assistant coaches in the country at the Power Five. Well, it wasn't Power Five then, but you know, right. You know, whatever, effectively B- Power Five, BCS, whatever that, whatever they were called at that time. And so uh, I said, "How am I going to do this?" So what what I did is I figured out I needed to figure out a way to connect with those folks, you know. So well, I put together a, a group of maybe fifteen to twenty mid-major ads like like myself, and we kind of had this seminar. Uh, We all got together and talked about issues, you know, our issues, ways to help one another out. And I said, why don't we do this somewhere where these coaches are going to be and we'll make a connection. So, knowing uh, the coaches, um, every year we'd go to Las Vegas in in July for these big recruiting weeks, you know, where every good player in the country is out there. So I said, why don't we have this seminar, this get-together of these ADs, we'll get together out there and then i'll host a reception for these top 30 coaches and that's what we'll do we'll get these ads so we probably had 15 ads we probably had 30 of those coaches come and so we had like a two-hour deal and they kind of interacted and engaged and during that time i forget a couple of them said to me hey doc that was really great um do you think you know we could do something maybe with some programming and stuff so the next year we I think we actually went to Charlotte and had like 20 coaches and 15 ADs and had panels. We had Morgan Wooten there. We had Bob Bodine. We had, a, you know, five or six ADs. It, it was pretty cool. So that's kind of how it started. So I did that for, for quite a while. Then when I retired, you know, it kind of fell apart. Um, and then maybe four years ago, one of the guys in my doctoral program a guy named Lyle Wolf who now is an assistant at Texas A&M said hey doc why don't we restart Villa 7 I'll do all the work you just tell me what to do so I said well that sounds like a pretty good deal so we'll do it so we did and we started and the funny part is Villa 7 somebody had copyrighted the name Villa 7 who had nothing to do with it oh. you know what I mean? so we had to change to Top Connect but that's okay I mean, that's what we're doing now we've had programs this last year we probably have had you know 250 coaches and administrators go through it so it's it's pretty cool you know we have a strong connection um, but yeah it, it's it's been good it's been really really good so that's what I've been doing just kind of hanging out and then I do special projects for the for President Nolan I stepped down as AD there maybe 2017 or 18 you know I hired I I, I had to make a change in basketball up there I hired Steve Forbes you know and Forbes who came in and did a great job for us you know I think uh what he two years ago I think we were thirty and four and, you know, um had a really, really strong team, beat L S U on the road, lost to Kansas by three out in Lawrence and mm. you know, so that team was really good and that was a team that you know, we had already gone through the Southern Conference Championship, won that. I think we won that uh, I think every game we won by fifteen or twenty points in the tournament and then a day later they shut down the tournament. No, so, no. so yeah. And then you know but then you know steve got the wake forest job good for him yeah so uh a two-month ad stint
1: ended up being four years uh, about five Yeah, five
2: years yeah <laughs> so yeah. much for laying around on the couch and playing <laughs> golf and retirement
0: yeah. you know another whole career yeah it was great you know etsu has been great to me you know present and all and you know i say all the time you know if you're an athletic director. You know the 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 reality of it is, it's a really good job if you have a really good president who uh, lets you um, do what you want to or do what you need to do. Um, It's not a good job if you have a president who, and you know, a lot of presidents have big egos. In case you didn't know that, Um, (laughs) and so if you have one that you know is is uh, thinks they know a whole lot more than they do, then it's not a very good job yeah
1: it sounds like you didn't run into that
0: no I was fortunate Gene was pretty good you know Gene was good you know he's a big fan big supporter so that was great Ed Ackle was great you know and the guy at ETSU I've been blessed to have all presidents who were very supportive and let me run the athletic program you know and so um yeah I mean Gene Trani was great I mean he he I mean, he let me run the athletic program, you know, and I'd tell him, and, you know, we'd discuss things, but, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was good.
1: That was good. Part of the reason you stayed 20-plus years is because of the presidents, Yeah, oh,
0: no question. Yeah. No question. Yeah, because I have a lot of, you know, associates who uh, aren't quite that lucky. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I I imagine there's some horror stories that we don't need to talk about tonight. So you have done something that I, uh, as a younger man, would have never contemplated, and I'm not sure I would ever attempt what you did last week. Yeah. You did 24 hours straight of free throw shooting. Right. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, well, you know, when I was a college player, I was a pretty good free throw shooter, I think, you know I, I think my senior year I shot about 92 oh, percent man and then <laughs> I think I made I forget how many I made in a row during games 44 46 something like that and so so my my grandson was born on uh, June fifteenth, two thousand fourteen, and two hours after he was born, the doctors came to um, my son and and his mother and said that you know Finnegan, his name was Finnegan, Finnegan um, needs to have surgery to save his life in the next twenty-four hours. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know that was pretty, that was pretty, you know, devastating. And then after that, they said he's probably going to have to have at least three subsequent surgeries maybe as many as five so he did you know and all the all the um, worry the anxiety the emotional toll that having a child born with a birth defect and not knowing what their life path is going to be is pretty challenging and seeing that is difficult and the one thing that you know we discovered is that there's no real strong um, community support for families of a child with a birth defect. Who do you talk to? Where do you go? The, di- the doctors and nurses were great. Finn was in intensive care, neonative intensive care, for 20 days and so going in there and seeing him and seeing these other uh, little kids born, you know, with birth defects and families and, you know, the, you know, just the worry and fear and so what, you know, Finn's seven now so um, you know, one of the things I've always wanted to do is to figure out a way to help um, develop, um, you know, a, a community resource for, for families of children with birth defect or any any adverse childhood experience. You know, that's pretty tough. And so, what we're going to do, there's there's something at ETSU. It's uh, part of our our. College of Medicine, our College of Education called the Strong Brain Institute, where they do research on a lot of different things. But one of the things I've talked to them about is doing research on children's and families of kids with birth defects of how to help those those folks and so what I wanted to do I thought i need to bring attention to the fact that one in 33 children are born with the birth defect that there's a child born with the birth defect once every four and a half minutes so I said I, I'm gonna the one thing I know I can do is I can shoot free throws so I'm gonna shoot free throws for 24 hours and see if I can make 3300 3300 was the goal because one in 33 kids are born with the mm. birth defect so that was the original goal to make 20 you know make 3300. And then some people came out and said, well, well, I'll give you, you know, it kind of got to be, well, um, this is a fundraiser, I'll give you a penny, a nickel, a dime, a dollar for every free throw that you make. So that just was more motivation. And then D1 Ticker, do you know what D1 Ticker is? I do not. Well, D1 Ticker is kind of a, a national, um, it's, a, a, it's a national communication for people in college athletics. It lists, I mean, they just aggregate all the stories and then put them into a local place and they kind of uh capsulize them and it's pretty good well the the d1 ticker folks came out and they had done analytics and they basically said i couldn't make more than 3500 so that just gave me more motivation to make them plus people were giving me money for everyone that i made so stayed up Uh, started on thursday at eight o'clock in the morning finished it friday at eight o'clock in the morning made thirty nine hundred and fifty six free that is awesome yeah so that was kind of cool so up to this point we i made um I've, uh, we've raised over a hundred thousand dollars, so we're going to build this community of support. And the other thing that we're going to do is the one thing Finn started, Finnegan, and so it's called Finnegan's Challenge. So if anybody wants to go to it, it's just you can go Finnegan'sChallenge.org, and people can make a donation. But um, the one thing we found out with Finnegan, with his, with his, um, with with his. Uh, special need. you know uh, we worry a little bit about it because when he's going to first grade, how will the other kids treat him? you know what I mean sure. how will they will they make fun of him will they exclude him? Um, and so one of the things in our uh, the research that we've done is the teachers aren't really taught or prepared how to deal with the peer- peers of kids with special needs so what we want to do is to develop you know educational curricular materials for teachers to help them um, teach empathy for you know the, the those special needs kids um, peers plus the parents of those um, peers of those children because so many children learn their attitudes from their parents so that's one of the things that we want to do and i, I think teaching empathy in today's world certainly can't be a bad thing it's
1: as important now as it as it's ever been mm-hmm. yeah
0: so that's what you know so that's what i've done here in the last you know last week i did it you know it was uh <laughs> it was pretty uh, interesting i didn't know uh you know i thought i could do it and then you know and i had leading up to it you know i had you know, I had worked at a little bit. You know, I had kind of a thought. I had shot as many as eight hundred free throws. You know, in an hour and a half period, and I thought I could keep shooting them, but I wasn't totally sure. So, um, but it worked out great. We had kind of a neat, neat deal. We, you know, for a half hour, forty-five minutes, we stopped and. Uh, had a celebrity free-throw shooting competition, you know, celebrities. We had, you know, Phil Fulmer and, and uh, Mike Smith, who had coached the Atlanta Falcons, and Mike Holbert, who was a PGA Tour pro. We had a young man named Carson Peters, who was on The Voice, and just a yeah. uh, neat, neat young man. Um, you know, we had the president shoot, you know, city manager, and I can't even think of who else, but it, it was fun, you know. and. Uh, That's awesome. Um, brought a lot of attention to to what we were trying to do.
1: Were there celebrities there at two a.m. on Friday? No,
0: no, <laughs> no. Not many people were there. Um, it's kind of funny. I could have made more I, if I had to do over again. I think I think I could probably make maybe. Four or five hundred more because the local TV station wanted to do an interview at six o'clock in the morning, you know, as they come on at six. So they wanted to do an interview and then do another at six thirty one at quarter or seven. So I didn't start shooting until eight. So I had to go over to the building, you know, at six to do that. And so while they were there, you know, if there's a basketball, there in this gym I'm going to shoot it. You know what I mean. So I probably made 150 free throws from six to eight that didn't even count. Oh and, wow! And then so you were
1: over four thousand.
0: Yeah, I probably was. Yeah, and then from 11:30 to about three, you know, my kid said, "You need to rest. You need to rest." Um, and so I said, "Okay." i'll Then there's a hotel right across the street, so I went over there and kind of rested for. You know, like two and a half hours and three maybe three hours, and somebody was supposed to come back we're coming back at three thirty in the morning. Well, the person that was supposed to come back and open the door to the building <laughs> fell asleep, and they didn't get <laughs> calling them and security eventually let us in at four fifteen so I lost forty five minutes of shooting free throws so and I was really shooting good after I rested a little bit, so um yeah,
1: was anybody keeping track of the misses?
0: Yeah, we I shot forty nine hundred and fourteen. So whatever that, it's a little over eighty percent, eighty one percent. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. yeah. It I, is. I mean, the the most I may you know I wanted I was a little disappointed. I wanted to see how many I could make in a row at any time. You know what I mean? And the most I ever made in a row was thirty six in a row. So that was kind of disappointing to me. I was hoping because and one day when I was practicing, you know, just trying to. You know, I shoot like three, four, five hundred a day. Not every day, but you know, two or three times a week. You know, one day I made I think seventy nine in a row. Mm. So um, I was, I thought I could make you know more than that in a row, but uh, yeah, I was pretty disappointed in that.
1: I, I have to ask, what is your uh, free throw routine? Because you you do the same. thing. Well, no, I don't. You know what I mean? Uh, really? It, when, when I was when I
0: was playing, I did. And this, I didn't. I mean, this was just getting it up. Okay, I mean, it was kind of funny. Um, because you know I'm trying to shoot them pretty quick, so um, if if I was playing, you know, I'd dribble it you know twice and I'd do some things and make sure my feet are in perfect position. Well this, I didn't do that. I'm not A lot of times I just catch it and shoot it, you know And it was funny. Sometimes I just catch it and shoot it, and it was just you know I could hit, hit eight or nine or ten in a row real quick, boom boom, boom. And then if I'd miss a couple, then I'd kind of start out, you know, really kind of refocus on on a routine and do what i did to get started again but once i get started it was like just go you know right um but yeah it, it was uh it was interesting did you have you ever shared this free throw skill of yours at vcu practices over the years <laughs> no 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 no, no, no. <laughs> free throw shooting is you know it's so mental you know um for sure i um, mean a lot of coaches don't even practice it you know what i mean this is amazing they, they're so worried about you know the a mental piece of shooting free throws. You know, like Kendrick Warren was an awful free throw. I mean, you guys remember Kendrick oh, yeah. I I, Warren? Sure. I
1: remember him as a player. I don't remember his free throw shoot. Yeah, well,
0: he was a horrible free throw shoot. Yes, he he shot, was. he shot a little over 50%, I think. But he could go in and practice. He could, I mean, he could make, you know, 80% mm, every amazing. day. But once he got in the game... It was a whole different thing. It's so.
1: something about everybody staring at you and yeah. time slows down. Yeah, pressure. I,
0: I think when you start missing them, then it just puts that much more pressure on you. The rim know? is getting so. smaller. Yeah. And if the coach makes too much of a fuss over it, you know, it just puts more pressure on the guy. Yeah. So a lot of. A lot of you know they just say shoot free throws you know and, and you know those, there's all kind of techniques okay you're going to you got two free throws you got to make them both or everybody runs you know what i mean and Yeah. put pressure on that's that that's how way. we did yeah. it back when i played yeah yeah. yeah yeah so all those kind of things you know uh tell us about your family okay yeah my family you know i i have two two uh two kids my daughter Leslie, is um she's dean of students at bond scores college of 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 nursing and jimmy my son he um he now is pretty much focused totally on you know what we're doing to raise money for um, Finnegan's Challenge. So Jim, Jim was a played God when he played baseball. At God when he went to Duke played baseball there. Got an MBA from Arizona State. So he uh, he's worked for Arm Software for a number of years and now is kind of doing this, and going out on his own. So um, that's what that's what he did. And then you know of course Jim has two children, Finnegan who has kind of been the poster child for for Finnegan's uh, challenge, you know. Uh, he's seven, and then his sister is Fontaine. She's five. It was kind of cool up there. As we're trying to raise money, Finnegan and Fontaine, they both wanted to uh, do artwork. So they sold their artwork there at uh, ETSU. They made $143 selling artwork. <laughs> that's that's so, better than uh, Lemonade State. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that so they, awesome. did, they did pretty good for that, you know. And uh, then uh, my daughter has a son, Jack. He's 16. He goes to Glen Allen. He plays football at Glen Allen. So, okay. Uh, yeah, so doing good. Good, awesome. good kid. Good, good kid.
1: That's great. So the whole family's here. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, my wife's here. She kind of, we wander back and forth to Johnson City. um, Yeah, it's good. Very cool. Yeah. All right, Kevin
1: has a three- or four-part question that he tends to end each podcast episode.
2: Yeah, just get a little insight into you. So uh, Jimmy Fallon is sick tonight. Uh And uh, you, Dr. Sander, have to take over the show. So you get to pick a male guest, a female guest a musical group, and a comedian to to fill out your show tonight. And this could be anyone. It it could be dead or alive. It could be you going for big ratings. It could be just you being, that's just personally who I want to have on my show. Um, But male guests, female guests, music group, comedian.
0: Well, uh, male guests. Well, you know, somebody who I think is entertaining, who I like a lot. You know, I I get... uh, charles barkley on because I, I i love charles you're going you know? for ratings yeah i love <laughs> charles you know he's he's good you know he he's actually kind of helped us a little bit with finnegan's challenge he actually texted me today and said hey he said uh i need to have information about finnegan's challenge i'm doing my podcast today i want to talk about it so that's cool i love charles you know charles used to come up here a lot with Sonny. you know because they were close and you know, Charles is a wonderful person, you know. I I tell this story all the time that when we we, we used to do a golf tournament called, you know, Charles Barkley Invitational or Celebrity, or I forget what we called it, but he'd come up and we'd bring a bunch of, you know, so-called celebrities with him. But one time we had a, um, we had a, afterwards we'd have like a small live auction type thing, three items. One of, one of the times it was, uh, it was LASIK surgery, you know, so... um we were doing the LASIK surgery, and my wife, she was going to buy this LASIK surgery for our son-in-law, Justin. And so it was like a thousand, twelve hundred, fifteen hundred. And uh, Charles, we're at the at the dais, sit kind of sitting up on the dais, and Charles says to me, he said, "Does does Mary need that surgery?" And I said, "No, she's buying that for Justin, our son-in-law." And another guy bids fifteen or seventeen hundred. And Charles gets five thousand, you know what I mean. And so, he uh, just kind of wanted to do that for you know for uh, Mary. So I mean, I think that kind of tells you what kind of person he is. Yes. He's really really good guy. So I think he'd be funny, enjoyable. You know, I'd, I'd enjoy talking to him. So um, that would that's somebody um, I, I I'd like. You know, will, a woman. Um, boy, that's that's a hard one for me. A woman. Um and just because of the world I'm in, you know, who I who I like and I think she's really got a lot going for. Her. Of course, once again, this is a basketball related thing, is Debbie Antonelli. Uh, I love Debbie. She's a great woman. She does some really good things. I actually have to admit I kinda of copied the twenty four hours <laughs> shooting free throws from her. She she does something where she'll make a hundred free throws. An hour for twenty straight hour twenty four straight hours to um, to uh, um, you know to, to raise money and awareness for Special Olympics. So uh, she's really she's very knowledgeable about basketball, but really good good person. So that that's who I would do as a woman. I, I think she's somebody that could really um, really be a, a, an entertaining and you know do some good stuff. Um, Comedian, uh, comedian, I guess. Uh, I don't even know if he's alive. Rodney Dangerfield, I think Rodney Dangerfield's <laughs> Great. pretty, pretty funny. He? <laughs> he's, he's no he longer never, with us, but he's hilarious. Yeah, he <laughs> is, gets no respect. You no. Know, <laughs> know what I mean? So, so I, 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 I think you know, um, certainly, um, he's, uh, he, he's somebody who I think is pretty funny um, and then what was the the music, music group, group yeah. yeah well you know I'm kind of an old guy so I would probably say uh, uh, journey you know oh, yeah. Uh, yeah journey I kind of think they're pretty cool you know what I mean uh, and, I agree yeah so I'd love to see those guys It's uh, a good show yeah.
1: It's a great show. Yeah. i check it out, for sure.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Well, awesome. Dr. Sander, thank you so much for joining us here on Center's, uh, Stories from the Center of the Universe. And, and uh, I really do appreciate
0: you taking the time to drive over here and, and do this with us. Oh, I enjoyed it. You know, I'm sure. I don't know if anybody cares about what you know, I got to say. but there, yeah. are lot, there
1: are a lot of people in VCU land that uh, definitely care about what you what we talked about today yes sir
0: Well, yeah uh you know i was really blessed you know had the opportunity to come to vcu and kind of build something from the ground up and feel good about it you know uh, had some incredibly good coaches you know i was very blessed you know with guys like paul coston paul keys and tim o'sullivan and Denise Shorty brown and, um, you know, Beth Cunningham. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some of the folks that, you know, I coached with Matt Ball did a great oh. job for us in golf and Eva Bard and women's tennis and, you know um, – you know, just just folks that were really, really. Julian Spooner did an incredible job. We, we'd win the track championship, didn't even have a track. We did that and uh, that's true numerous times. That's you know, amazing. That, that was always kind of. I almost laugh at that one. You know, <laughs> uh, didn't even have a track, but we'd win the track championship. <laughs> it's, it so. does uh, seem that, that's impossible. That yeah. says a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well,
1: it's too rich, we guys. We know what you meant to uh, VCU and, and to uh, the city here. So,
0: thanks. Well, for all. You of know, me. thanks for for giving me a chance to share. You know, some memories. Yeah, it was good times. Awesome. Thanks. 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 Thank you for listening.
1: If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.